0: Good afternoon, this is Omar Serrano with the Tilted Lawyer Podcast here for episode 35. And today's show is about a question that I have beginning with ever-increasing frequency as of late has crept up into the cases, my real life cases in my actual profession of being an attorney. Should you speak to the cops when you are under suspicion of a crime? Well, I have the answers for you. There's a lot of reasons not to. There's a few reasons why you should. And we're gonna discuss all of them Coming up next. What's up everybody? I'm Omar Serrado, experienced and practicing attorney, fierce litigator, and unofficial commentator on the most popular legal issues of the day. I'm the host of the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, joined by Eliana Klon Rosa and the TLP crew, where we break down the human aspects of law that everybody wants to talk about. I've been a practicing attorney for many years, but nothing in this show is or should be taken as legal advice. We're not going to pull any punches. We might even get a little bit dirty, but we want you to join us anyway. And we're back. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, should you ever speak to the ch- uh, to the cops when you are suspected of a crime? That was the main topic of conversation in many of my consultations uh, this week. And the simple answer to that is no, no, you should not talk to the cops. Don't say a word, don't go to their offices, don't invite them into your home, uh, don't speak to them over the phone without your attorney present, and let me explain to you why. So the, the short answer to that question is simply this. Law enforcement, and I have many friends in law enforcement, and I have no problems uh, saying this, that the, the main job of law enforcement is to provide the district attorney information with which to charge suspects with a crime. That means that if they are speaking to you to ask you questions, it's because they are looking for information that they can feed to the district attorney that will help them charge you with a crime. And here's the big secret. If the cops are going to arrest you, they're going to do it anyway, regardless of whether or not you go into their offices to have a sit down interrogation with them. Chances are that they want to speak to you because somebody has said something or they got you on video doing something or they have some evidence against you that they want to question you about it. But guess what? Do you think that they're going to tell you what they know? No, they're going to befriend you. They're going to... Uh, take you into their offices. They're going to give you something to eat. They're going to act like they're your friends. They're going to engage in small talk with you. They're going to get you to drop your defenses. If you're a gentleman, they'll send a pretty girl in there to 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 uh, break you down and try to get you talking. If you're a, a female, they're going to bring somebody in there that's going to act like your dad and give you the best of advice and try to get you to spill your guts. They're going to get you to commit to various statements that they already know the answer to. Like, for example, you know, where did you go? Did, how did you like this or that? They'll, they know full well where you've been. Chances are you've been tailed. Chances are they have you on surveillance footage doing something. Chances are that witnesses have placed you at a certain location and you're not going to know what that is. And that's just the reality of it. And so any statement that you make is going to be counter, well, maybe counter, Well, let's just put it this way if you make a statement that is counter to what they know, in the interrogation room, they are going to do their best to break you down with the knowledge that you know and I know that you just lied to the cops. And guess what, buddy? I'm your only friend. I'm the only thing standing between you and the jail cell. And if you want to get right with the Lord, then you're going to have to tell me everything that's happening, everything that's going on. And you know what? Let's just cut the bullshit. Why don't you just, just, just get it off your chest. I know that you did it. You know that you did it. It'll be so much easier if you just confess. Their entire job is, now listen, it's not how it always goes 100% of the time, but here's what happens with a criminal investigation. Oftentimes there is a primary suspect, but sometimes there aren't any suspects. And so they're just fishing. There are fishing expeditions. Would I like to live in a world where I could tell you that, oh, no, the cops are your friend. And if you go into their offices, they have the best of intentions. Um, You're going to be safe. Just trust them. They're going to do everything that they can to make sure that they get to the bottom of all of this. Well, that's not their job. It's not their job. Their job is to pursue whom they think is guilty of a crime. So, guess what? Sometimes when you are accused of committing a crime, your best defense is to blame somebody else. So, let's just say that you got into a fight. And let's just say that this fight was not witnessed by anybody but there may have been some blurry images on surveillance video somewhere out there in the ether that the cops have gotten their hands off, but they on, but they can't make heads or tails of it. So they go and they, they take a statement. They get a statement from one of the purported uh, suspects that was involved in a fight a disturbing the peace or just, you know, whatever it is that they're looking to charge somebody with. Guess what their best defense is? Um, You know what? It wasn't me. It was this other guy. I was attacked. I was defending myself, and so now they are implicating you. And guess what? This this person that is implicating you of a crime probably has friends, and they're gonna say, "Oh no, yep, I I saw it all. I was sitting right here, and there was a phone conversation that I overheard. Uh, There was some stuff that happened outside of the camera where they were attacking my 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 friend. Felt threatened, and then he was the aggressor. And now they're coming to you to get some information." and already thinking that you were the primary suspect because they may have, well, they have what they believe is credible statements from eyewitnesses who are implicating you as the aggressor in a fight. It happens all the time in domestic violence situations. Well, I don't know who to believe. Is it you or is it her? Um, well, since he's the one with bruises, I guess you're going to jail, you know, something like that. And then you're forced to, uh, go and answer the questions and then they're, they're they're accusing you of a crime. And just imagine that environment. If you've never been questioned by the police in your life, if you've never been in an interrogation room, if you've never been seated in a jail cell and forced to speak to law enforcement, this is what it's like. And I've never been personally questioned or interrogated while being accused of a crime Uh, because I'm an attorney. Of course I have extensive um, experience in speaking with law enforcement about various a various myriad of things, right? But if this is your first rodeo and you have this cop who's sitting here and, you know, he's buttering you up and he's making sure that you feel comfortable and you get to talking and he knows all of these things that you don't know that he knows and he forces you into a corner because you're bullshitting around with this guy that, you know, and you're used as people, we are used To um, making small talk. And what does small talk consist of? Well, they don't consist of credible statements. Most people that make small talk with strangers um, aren't exactly 100% forthcoming for, you know, with whatever it is. It's like, oh, what have you been doing all day? It's like, it's none of your business what I've been doing all day, but you give them an answer anyway, don't you? Oh, I don't know. I was laying around all day or I was playing a PlayStation or I was at the gym this morning or it's none of their business. So what do you care if you give them a false statement or not? I understand you're talking to law enforcement, but the way that they try to approach you is by forcing you to let your guard down, forcing you to get into this comfortable state of small talk where you, are, where you are volunteering information that you don't have to volunteer and that they're going to spin around and use against you um, later on in the one or two or three or eight hour conversation that you're about to have with the cops. Now, listen, I can say this unequivocally that most people that find themselves in an interrogation room with the cops are probably guilty of something that they're suspected of doing. And you could just search around on YouTube or wherever else to find examples of cops investigating serial or interrogating serial killers or people suspected of committing heinous crimes or what have you. And you'll see all of the techniques that they utilize in getting a confession from the people that are suspected of a crime. And here's the long and the short of it. The best way to garner a confession from anybody is to point out all of the instances where you know for a fact that they have lied. And what is the easiest way to do that? To get them to make statements that are contrary to the truth, even if it was innocent, even if they're not even sure if what they were saying was true or not. I mean, most people, when they are confronted with whether or not they said something truthful, like uh, imagine, let us imagine that um, your wife comes home from a couple of hours uh, shopping at, you know, wherever. And she comes back and, hey, uh, did you remember to clean up the yard? Your first instinct because you don't want to get yelled at by your wife is, uh, yeah, of course I did. Well, actually, no, I didn't. But your first instinct is to avoid, um, I think so, maybe, I don't know. And let's just say that you didn't mean to lie, but the first thing out of your mouth was, uh, you know, an appeasement for your wife that is asking you whether or not you've done some household chore that she asked you to do, or if you, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And uh, you get nervous, not because you're going to be in trouble, but because you're confronted. And the nature of being confronted with anything is a flight or a fight Response. Fight as in being overly defensive over your version of events. Flight as in, you know, shutting down or not saying anything or, you know, some something in between. I don't know. But people panic. Now, imagine if that's not your life partner that is doing the questioning and you are suspected of something that potentially threatens your freedom. How much more nervous are you going to be? How much more severe is your flight or fight response going to be with the knowledge that the cops just caught you in a little white lie? And now they're saying stuff like, hey, don't play games with me, buddy. Don't play games. You and I both know you weren't over there. You and I both know you did not order a Big Mac at McDonald's at 2 o'clock earlier today. We both know that. So why don't you just cut the bullshit? Because let me tell you something. I'm your best friend right now. You have one shot at this and your chance is going to be wasted if all you're going to do is bullshit me. So look, I know you were at your friend's house at three o'clock or two 30 or whatever. I know that you specifically didn't order that thing. And furthermore, I know that you had this specific conversation. So why don't you just tell me what you said? More importantly, just tell me what you did. Tell me what you did. And it's oftentimes not a one-on-one conversation, you're oftentimes ganged up on with multiple police officers as in they're trying to get you to say something that they believe to be true, which means they're going to start asking you leading questions to get you to admit to something that they want you to say because the second that you do, well, their job is done. They're going to write the uh, the supplemental report. They're going to send it off to, to uh, the district attorney. Likely you're going to be charged very shortly with whatever crime they suspect you of doing. The truth is that the cops don't have to be truthful with you. Matter of fact, they're very rarely truthful uh, with individuals that they're questioning. Um, They're not forthcoming. And they will flat out lie to your face about the things that they know, the things that they don't know, because they're allowed. They're allowed. There's no law stating that they cannot be um, untruthful with you. I mean I mean there's there's certain boundaries that they can't cross sure but you know they don't have to tell you what they know they don't have to you know be 100% truthful and I'll give you a real world example from one of my cases so I had this case where there was a teenage runaway and this teenage runaway had fled her parents house and went to a friend of the family seeking refuge from her abusive parents There was all kinds of allegations In there There were threats Of uh, child abuse There were threats Of uh, Threats on the life Of this child And her, her younger sibling There were allegations That there was Domestic violence In the home In front of the children There were all the telltale marks That would cause CPS or any other Investigative body To go do some research Into whether or not Those allegations were true So she flees the house, and goes to a relative's, well, well, it was a friend of the family, and um, there's a missing persons report, and the missing persons report was initiated by the parents that were alleged by the child to have done all these acts of abuse and all of this stuff. So as an attorney, I get a phone call from the friends of the family saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. There's all of this, uh, these all these allegations of child abuse And um, I don't know if I should, you know, I'm being contacted by law enforcement. Should I talk to them? You know, um, what's the protocol here? And, you know, being the attorney, I get as much information as I can. And um, give them the best advice I can. Why don't we open up an emergency guardianship petition, get this in front of the judge within a day or two, Let the judge in on what's going on, and if there really is a dangerous situation, we could have a court-appointed investigator do their due diligence, talk to the parents, talk to the child, and we could determine what's real or not. But until then, as long as the child is safe, maybe we could get some temporary orders where they could stay with you for the time being. So, thinking that was a completely reasonable line of uh, action— that I had recommended in telling law enforcement the same. Um, the uh, family that had came to me, I advised them to let law enforcement know that uh, there is a pending hearing before the judge scheduled. And it's coming up in a couple of days. And you're going to follow whatever the judge tells you to do. And if it's, that's in order to return the child to the parents, then you will do that. But based on your fears that the child is in danger, you're not going to do that at this time. Now, the child, the, the the law enforcement was actively trying to just get the location of where the child was. Which, you know, they said, "Well, they're with me." They were nervous about letting uh, the cops know exactly where because there was some fear uh, that the parents, and they were apparently afraid of um, the biological parents of the child, that they might show up to the house and try to cause harm or, or, or some kind of thing. So they wanted to keep their their exact location um, secret. The cops wanted to have some visual, uh, they, they wanted to have some kind of reassurances that the child was safe, which I thought was reasonable. So law enforcement set up a time to meet with uh, the friends of the family and to meet with the child just to verify that everything was okay And I had advised my clients, you know, that the fact that there is an upcoming court hearing in a couple of days, I don't believe that they're going to try to take the minor child and force her back into the parents who may be suspected of abuse. I figured everything was above board. I figured that everything, at the very least, was going to be investigated. Is it possible the child is lying and just throwing a tantrum because, you know, they took away the cell phone? Sure. I never said that that wasn't the case. It certainly may be true. But... Based on the allegations, it's reasonable to to verify, don't you think? And so we had set this whole thing up with law enforcement, and law enforcement had made insurances because the child was deathly afraid of going back to the biological parents. We get there to the location. It was at a public place. As soon as the child get there, um, they swooped her up, stuck her in a police car, and returned her straight back to the parents' and that was that and my clients were livid i was livid for a couple of reasons i do this for a living and if i give law enforcement my assurances you know that there's a that there is a court hearing that is pending that a judge is going to make a decision based on allegations um, of child abuse that may or may not have occurred and the judge is going to make orders that are going to be in the best interest of this child and we're going to get to the bottom of it because this child being, you know, of high school age deserved to have her opportunity to be heard by somebody that was not uh, coercing her into silence. And so giving her that best opportunity, I figured would probably be best sir, when not in the presence of her parents and, you know, the judge can make whatever determinations they thought appropriate. And if the investigation turned up that, you know, this was all not a big deal and that the allegations weren't real and that none of this was um, anything to to worry about, then fine. But I wanted to make sure that that child was safe specifically because there was another small child that was in that home that may have been subjected to the same thing. Rather than go about that route, uh, law enforcement, in my opinion, in my opinion, doesn't mean anything, uh, decided, you know what? No, we're going to return this child to the parents that are actively accused of child abuse, potentially place this child in, for all they know, is harm's way, based on their reassurances from the biological parents that everything was above board, which is not how we're supposed to do business at the airport. But that's what happened. I was so beside myself, upset, along with my client. Now, granted, uh the case for all intents and purposes had a happy ending but what if that weren't the case what if this child were genuinely afraid well what if there was genuine child abuse occurring in the house and those children were genuinely in danger and now the cops in an effort to uh circumvent uh what was likely to be judge's orders within a couple of days um unwittingly sent the child back to her abusers. What then? What then? How many cases have you heard about in social media, in the media itself, about suspected instances of child abuse that had not been properly investigated, where law enforcement had every opportunity to remove that child to safety, and instead they left the children in the arms of their abusers, leading to their immediately irreversible consequences, either the death, brain damage, uh, severe injury, or otherwise. How many instances do you have? And even when we provided law enforcement with that very reasonable solution, and I'll tell you what, not every law enforcement officer is the same, because there is plenty of law enforcement officers that I've been able to work with and come to those very reasonable conclusions without incident without incident because common sense in cases like these really should prevail. You would think all we had to do is wait a couple of days and let the judge make orders, send the investigator over to the home and get from the, for, for the court's perspective, some assurances that this child is going to be safe going back to the parents. And in the event that they weren't, then great. Uh, let's get the other child out of there so that they're not subjected to uh, possible violence. <sighs> The end result of that case um, was there was an investigation. The child did go back to the uh, biological parents. Thankfully, thankfully, uh, that case ended without incident. But my uh, fear in that case was simply that what if it wasn't going to be fine? And law enforcement, you know, with, you know, in all of their wisdom, deciding that they knew better than uh, the entire court system that is designed specifically to protect children. Well, they coerced my client into producing a child who was suspected to be in danger and tricked them into producing the child when all we were trying to do is say, look, everything is fine. Here's our our court paperwork. Court date is in a couple of days. We're going in front of the judge, and he's going to give us further instructions usually when that happens, law enforcement says, okay, well, I guess the judge will deal with it. As long as the child is safe, there's nothing to do here. And and they'll just kind of let that go. But, you know, sometimes law enforcement, they overstep their bounds. Law enforcement is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They make mistakes all the time. And so anyway, the moral of that story is, What happens when you talk to law enforcement? Well, sometimes really bad things happen. Sometimes things happen that you don't want. Some things happen that you don't uh, plan or suspect. Um, Sometimes you don't think that law enforcement is trying to trick you to uh, get one over. But, and because of that, I'll tell you what, um, in all the years of practice, I'm 10 years into practice now, law enforcement as far as I'm concerned, are the biggest liars when it comes to this level of investigation that there is. It's not the eyewitnesses. Believe it or not, eyewitnesses genuinely do try to tell the truth. It's law enforcement who actively as they're trained to be untruthful if it's going to serve their ends and what are their ends to get information that is going to implicate a suspect in a crime And if the person suspected of the crime is you, well, guess what? They're trying to get you to confess. Even if you give them the truth, even if you say the truth, if they don't believe you, they're going to try to get you to change your story. And so when should you speak to the cops? When is it a really good idea to speak to the cops? When you have your attorney present. And if you don't, then you know what? Call my attorney. This is his number. Call him. And uh, I'll answer whatever questions you want to know as long as he's there. What happens when I get involved? Well, I'll tell you what happens. Before any questions are asked, I get as much information as I can as far as what law enforcement knows. Do you think they're going to be 100% honest with me? Of course not. Of course not. And the next thing that happens is I have a full-fledged conversation with you about exactly what went down, exactly what happened, what evidence is going to exist that I can look for that's going to support your story who may or may not have seen anything. And then I get to the bottom of it. And if I don't think it's worth it to speak to the cops, then I just shut it down altogether. You got a fifth amendment, right? To not say anything. And if I have to tell the the, the cops to F off, I'm going to do that because the only reason that you exist to them is to help build their case. They're not there to be your buddy. I guarantee you they're going to, they're going to sit there. Let's say you're guilty of a crime um, you know what? This is going to be so much easier. To just get off your chest and all you got to do is confess. You're going to feel so much better and you're going to be able to go on living life. Well, guess what? They're not going to be sitting in that jail cell with you making you chicken soup. That's not what's going to happen. You're never going to speak to them ever again. And you'll have the rest of your life to think about it. Whether or not you deserve to be in jail for the rest of your life is, is another, uh, you know, we get to the bottom of that too during trials. I trust our court system. I trust that when the evidence is presented, 12 jurors could come to a conclusion about whether or not somebody is guilty or innocent. But I'll tell you what, there are some real life examples about what happens to individuals who attempt to speak to the cops and what happens to them. Um, There's a myriad of examples. Amanda Knox, I don't know if anybody remembers her. She was on foreign soil when she was accused of a crime, didn't speak the language necessarily, was completely out of her element. She did her best to communicate with law enforcement and she ended up convicted of a crime that was later overturned uh, because of it. There was the case of a Brandon Dassey. Um, he was the subject of that Netflix special, uh, Making of a Murderer, I think it was called, um, where he was, co- and, uh, Mr. Dassey, That gentleman has the IQ of uh, right around, barely functional. And they were asking him questions, interrogating him about whether or not he had committed various crimes. And um, they got him into a false confession. And uh, I believe to this day, he's still sitting behind a jail cell um, because of it. Uh, There was the case of Richard Jewell. I don't know if anybody remembers back in 1996 uh, the Atlanta, uh, the Olympics that were held in Atlanta, there was a bombing that took place. Richard Jewell was a security guard that was on scene that had alerted uh, law enforcement of various things that ended up making him a suspect in the crime because he was cooperating, uh, with law enforcement and he had information that nobody else knew about, um, that made them suspicious There was a Central Park Five, um, the five teenagers that were accused of the rape and murder of a young lady that was jogging in the park in Central Park that day uh, back in 1988, I believe it was. Um, Ryan Ferguson, Richard Glossop is the most um, recent example of this. He's a gentleman that is scheduled to be executed within uh, a matter of weeks, I believe, matter of days, and he was... um, well, there's all kinds of stuff going on with him, but I think the, the biggest part of it is that it's the first time in history where both his defense counsel and the attorney general believes that he was unfairly convicted of a crime and both are calling for his clemency. And, um, well, it hasn't happened yet. I don't know what's going to happen, but if nothing happens, he's going to be executed. And let's let's talk a little bit more about that. If, you, if you're familiar um, with... Amanda Knox. She, it was back in 2007. She was studying abroad in Perugia, Italy, when her roommate, Meredith Kircher was found murdered in their apartment and Knox along with her boyfriend at the time, they were arrested, charged with the murder. Now she was interrogated by the Italian police. Um, She had made several statements that were later used against her at trial, including uh, implicating an innocent man in the process. Uh, She was subjected to a myriad of coercive interrogation techniques that lasted for hours. Um, She was interrogated while she was purposely sleep-deprived, hungry, emotionally uh, distressed as she was on foreign soil. This was not her home. She was in a jail cell in a country where she was not a citizen. Um, there were several recanted statements uh, shortly after she made them that were inconsistent with the physical evidence. Uh, the prosecution argued, however, that the statements that Knox made showed that she had knowledge of the crime that only the killer could have had, and on that basis, they tried to get the conviction. Ultimately, her and her boyfriend they were convicted of the murder. They were sentenced to a lengthy prison sentence. Um, But in 2011, about four years after the murder was committed, there was a lengthy appeal process um, that led to her convictions being overturned. Uh, She was released from prison. Uh, The Italian Supreme Court ended up uh, overturning the acquittal. There was a new trial that was ordered, uh, but Knox never went back uh, for the trial. In 2015, uh, the Supreme Court finally just put an end to it and said, you know what the hell with it, Um, we're we're ending this. And they uh, upheld the acquittal. Um, there are some people that argue, uh, that, uh, Knox's initial statements that she made to law enforcement, um, con- contributed to, uh, her wrongful conv- conviction that she would have been better off, uh, just not saying anything, which I got to say, I agree. I mean, they used her statements at the time. Um, and I don't even remember if, um, she was able to speak fluently in Italian, but I got to imagine that the interrogation was in Italian. And so she gives all these statements and they're using these against her. They're inconsistent. And how could you possibly know those things? Only the killer would have known those things. It led to a conviction. It, it would have been much better off if she had just said nothing and let the cops do their job, get the evidence, and point the, the investigation where the investigation led. But that's not what happened. Um, There are some that argue that she had no choice but to speak to the police because she was a key witness um, and that the real issue was in the coercive tactics um, used by Italian law enforcement. Yeah, sure. Um, Amanda Knox actually went on Joe Rogan and she had a lot to say about um, her conviction. Uh, Let's hear her version of events. I think it's very telling um, what she experienced. And this is kind of what people go through when they are being interrogated uh, by law enforcement. Let's take a listen.
1: My initial idea was that I was involved somehow. He didn't know how, but he thought that I was involved somehow. I knew something. I was covering up for someone. And that's why he interrogated me for 53 hours over five days. Um, Which is
2: really scary that they can do that, right? It's like you can get someone to say a lot of things if you can get alone with them in a room scare the fuck out of them and and just torture them. Well, like, I'm glad you
1: you know that because like a lot of people don't know that.
2: You can get people to crack.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like that's it's
2: People crack when they get pulled over by the cops for speeding. Oh yeah. People crack for all kinds of things. They oh, crack yeah. if they have a joint in their glove box. Mm-hmm. People crack. Yeah. You know when when authority is scaring you, coming mm-hmm. down on you, and in your case, actually hit you a couple times. That there's, and you're 20. Yeah. Right. Like I you're, was 20. Your brain isn't even fully formed.
1: My brain isn't fully formed. My friend had just been murdered. I was alone in a foreign country, and people were people who I was entrusting my life and safety to were screaming at me that I was wrong that I was never going to see my family again, that I was super traumatized, that I had, ex- I had seen something so horrible that I must have just completely blocked it out. And here's, and, and here's a scenario that would explain that. Look, you have a text message from your boss, Patrick Lumumba. You must have met him that night. You must have seen him murder Meredith. Just admit it. Just admit it. Remember, remember, remember. They kept telling me, like, the the gross thing about it was they kept telling me to remember. They didn't even tell me to, like, admit it. They were telling me that I just couldn't remember it and I had to remember or else I was never going to see my family again.
2: Jesus. So, were you thinking that you just had to tell them whatever they wanted to hear just so you could get out of there?
1: Honestly, I started to question my own sanity. I started to believe them that I must have witnessed something horrible and I just couldn't remember it. And that's the only explanation for why they would treat me that way.
2: How long did that take before you think you started questioning your sanity?
1: Um, So I was, you know, a few hours into that final interrogation that was in the middle of the night. I was not prepared to be interrogated at all because honestly they didn't even call me in that night. They called my boyfriend, Raffaele, um, but I was staying with him and I was afraid to be alone at home because a murder was on the loose. And so I went with him and I was waiting in the um, in the lobby, like by the elevator, waiting for him to come out from questioning. And then they brought me in um, and just went on and on and on. Um, and so I cracked eventually. So the thing that cracked me too was they brought in an interpreter, right? Someone who actually spoke English, because for a long time I was just talking to people in Italian and I was worried that I couldn't, I wasn't even comprehensible. I thought that the reason why they were yelling at me was because I was doing something wrong. Like, I just wasn't explaining myself correctly. And how, then they, how
2: fluid were you, fluent were you? At the I time? mean,
1: I had been there for like five weeks. So
2: I was. And you took Italian before?
1: I had taken Italian for a year before. So I, I was about as fluent as I'd like to say. I had about the fluency of a 10 year old, but I think that that's even generous because I could speak in certain tenses. My vocabulary was totally limited though. So there were limited things that I actually had the words to say. Mm. And I remember even when I, um, shortly after I was interrogated and signed the statements that they had written up for me, I they finally stopped yelling at me, they left me alone. I had a moment to just like be off to the side, quiet, to myself and I was like, "Oh my god, what just happened? Everything is wrong. This is all wrong. I need to tell them that it's all wrong." And I'd like I can't just go up in front of a jury right now and say this is the person who did it. I saw him do it. Like I I don't actually remember that. And I told them, "I need to tell you. I need to tell you." And they were like, "No, you'll remember. Don't worry about it." Like we don't we don't need to talk anymore. You'll remember. Just stay over there and keep remembering and i was like no i'm not remembering i'm not remembering and eventually i asked them like please give me a piece of paper because they weren't listening to me so i wrote on this piece of paper i'm so confused they were yelling at me like i don't i don't i can't actually testify to this and i gave it to them and i was like here's a gift because i didn't have the word for like here's my recantation i was just like i'm giving this to you i need you to hear me and they were like okay whatever we're taking you to jail Actually, they didn't even tell me they were taking me to jail. They, t- they were telling me that I was being taken to a holding place for my own protection and that I was an, an important witness.
2: So they didn't tell you that you were being taken to jail because you were one of the people they were accusing?
1: No, I was already in prison before I was ever actually told you are being—you are suspected for the killing of Meredith Kircher. I was already in prison.
2: How long had you known this Meredith girl for? A few weeks. And you'd met her just because you'd all moved there at the same time? Yeah, yeah. And you were sharing a place together?
1: Yeah, so she had moved in before me. um, But it was basically there were two rooms to let in this little house that was right next to the university. And we both happened to pick a flyer.
2: Mm. And did you guys hang out a lot? Did you know her well? Was she a good friend or was she just someone you lived with?
1: Um, she was like a budding friend. Like we definitely hung out. We would go to pizza together. I remember we went to like, there's this famous chocolate festival that's in Perugia where they would like take huge refrigerator sized blocks of chocolate and like carve them, um, which was super cool. I'm very into that. And we would go and check that out together. Um, but we weren't like the best of friends. Like she had a, a friend group of other young women from Great Britain that she hung out with a lot more than she hung out with me. Um, but that isn't to say that we didn't go out dancing together or go out to dinner together. We definitely did that.
2: The moment you found out that she had been murdered, what was that like?
1: Um, it's confusing because I knew that something was wrong as soon as I found, like, came home and I found that there was a window broken into and Meredith wasn't answering her phone. But i didn't understand what was wrong i didn't i didn't know and when the police came in and broke down her door and everyone started screaming i didn't see into her room i never actually saw her body and so i didn't know what was going on i didn't know if that was meredith in the room in fact i remember at the first thing that filomena one of my roommates started yelling was a foot a foot and I was like, oh, my God, is there, like, a severed foot in Meredith's room? Like, I don't know what's going on. She's, Philomena, is hysterical, and I don't know what's going on. Everyone's yelling in Italian, speaking really quickly. I don't understand. So I actually was relying on Raffaele to translate for me, like, what is going on? He was like, I don't know. Let me, let me figure it out. And we were all, like, shoved out of the house, and finally someone is like, it's Meredith. It's Meredith, and she's dead. And I was like, oh, my God. Like it was outside of the house that someone was telling me she's her body was in there and someone told me that there was all this blood. Um, I remember not actually knowing like how she had died until I went to the police office and I asked I was like being questioned. And one of the police officers was like and so like I sort of learned over the course of that day these the the details of it but i didn't fully understand like what had really happened like as far as i knew you know she she some <sighs> i mean it was clear that there was a break in like the window had been broken into One of, uh, it was Philomena's room. All of her stuff was all over the place. It wasn't clear to me what had happened though. And it wasn't until over the course of that whole day and piecing together what I was hearing that I understood the gravity of the situation, that she had been sexually assaulted, that she had been stabbed to death, that it was a struggle. Um, It was all, it was all like, I remember the first thought, and it's a guilty thought that I had. I remember thinking, thank God I wasn't home um, because that could have been me. And a part of me, like over time, felt really guilty about that thought because I thought maybe if I was home and there had been two of us, maybe the outcome would have been different. Maybe we would have been able to fend him off together. But here's, you know, an athletic guy wielding a knife. I'm not sure that we would have. And maybe I would have been dead too. So it's kind of a thought that comes back to mind a lot when I think about this um, and how fortuitous it was um, that I just happened to be in this like brand new romance and hanging out with my new boyfriend all the time every waking moment that I could. And that's what happened.
2: It's hard for me to imagine the jolt of a 20-year-old life Where you are overseas, going to school, involved in this new romantic relationship, and then out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. boom, you're a suspect in a murder.
1: Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is I didn't know. Like, I didn't know that I was a suspect. It's like the boom for me was someone close to me just died, and that could have been me. And now what?
2: And then it was all those things that piled on. They kept piling on.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, I'm in jail. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is all just a horrible misunderstanding. Like, I'm sure they're going to figure it out sometime. Um, I remember, like, the first two years of my imprisonment, I was convinced that it was all just a big misunderstanding and somebody would figure it out. And I was convinced. I I was convinced that there was no possible way that people could actually believe that i was involved like the even just not because of, it's me but because there wasn't any evidence there like it was so patently obvious to me that like this this idea of me this foxy noxy character that was being constructed in the courtroom this luciferina like this idea of a person was obviously made up it was so obvious to me and yet and and yet
2: it seemed like the Italian media just ran with it though
1: oh yeah yeah and that was one of the the big sort of regrets that my especially my family had was at the very beginning um, they were advised to not speak to the media at all because they were just going to make a field day of it there was you know in the same way that there was never going to once I was accused there was never going to be anything that I could do to prove my innocence in the eyes of people and um, my lawyers were also worried that there was nothing my family could say but that would not be twisted and and turned into something that would just fuel further fuel the scandal mongering. And what that meant was there was a void. There was a void in which who I was, my very identity, could be reconstruct or constructed out of total fantasy that was the only thing that was that the only reason why it was being constructed was to further this scandal and to sell more papers. Mm. Like that—that that was the reason why the—it wasn't the public interest of the story that kept the Sun in in Britain reporting on this case. Like they were—they were reporting, like reporting on whether or not I ate pizza, like the, the days leading up to my arrest. Like it's that's just
0: selling. Papers. It's
1: just selling papers.
0: So that's Amanda Knox, and. Uh, Just a couple takeaways from that. 20 years old when all of that happened. She is overseas. She's going to school. It's not even her first language. She has all of this stuff going on. And at 20 years old, many of my listeners are are, are older than 20. But if you remember 20, you're still just not fully formed. Miss Knox even said that, you know, my brain's not fully developed, which is true. That doesn't really happen until you turn about uh twenty six, twenty-seven years old. And she was she found herself the primary suspect of a murder where she thought that she was just a witness there to tell her accounting of what happened and all of a sudden got spun by Italian media into this character that they created for her, where she was this sex starved 20 year old who murdered this young girl out of jealousy and they had came up with cute little nicknames for her that she had gone over. It's horrific. It was a nightmare. And the, the tactics that they use in that interrogation, you you heard her describe, I mean, who amongst us is going to hold up under that kind of scrutiny? It's just impossible But that's what she was faced with. That unfortunate circumstance, the cops' interrogation of her led to her conviction, which ultimately led to her acquittal, which ultimately led to the the Supreme Court of Italy overturning the conviction, upholding the acquittal. I mean, now she's being able to go on Joe Rogan and talk about it. But I think that that bit of interview... Is fascinating in that here she is, a, a fully formed um, young lady in her adult form, able to talk about an event, this high profile, stressful, anxiety riddled, horrific situation that she found herself in as a child. And being able to describe it and look back on it as an adult is eye opening. And that's what they used against her. Those statements that she gave when she was under all of that stress and anxiety, that's what they used to convict her. But you know what? That, that story is not exclusive to Italy. There's the case of Brandon Dassey. And if anybody is a fan of uh, the Netflix special that came out back in 2013, 14, I want to say, Making of a Murderer. Um, Brandon Dassey was a 16-year-old high school student. I want to say that his IQ was reported to be barely above normal functioning, meaning he was borderline um, learning impaired. And he was interrogated by police in connection with the murder of Teresa Halbach. He was questioned multiple times over the course of several hours several days during which he made several incriminating statements that were later used against him at trial. And we're going to take a look at some of the footage from his interrogation. And if I were to describe it, what it looks like to me, it's as if a 10 year old is sitting in the principal's office answering questions so that he could go back to doing whatever he was planning on doing afterwards. And he even makes a statement during interrogation about wanting to, uh, he he was upset because he was missing WrestleMania or something like that, some WWF event, WWE. Um, He had no clue that he was literally being interrogated for his connection to a murder that was placing his life in danger and that he was facing a life Sentence. He was convicted, um, I believe, of a life sentence. And if I'm wrong on that, I apologize. But he's currently sitting. Um, his case is up for appeal right now. He's currently sitting in a jail cell right now because of the um, and because of the the so-called confession that he gave. At any rate, um, he was convicted ultimately of first degree murder, the rape and mutilation of a corpse. He was sentenced to life in prison. There it is. Um, And his conviction was upheld by the Wisconsin State Court of Appeals and the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Wisconsin. But in 2016, uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit ruled that Dassey's confession was involuntary. They ordered that he be released from prison, and then the state of Wisconsin appealed it. That was like on season two of making of a murder. Um, They appealed that decision to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they just declined to hear the case. And that kind of left... Brandon Dassey in limbo where he's currently sitting in a jail cell right now despite there being findings that he his confession was involuntary. Um, and then there's been arguments that um, his statements to the to the police, I mean obviously contributed to his wrongful conviction. There's some that say that he had no choice but to speak, but that's bullshit. Of course he had a of course he had a choice whether or not to speak. He didn't have to say anything, anything. Without the coerced confession that he gave to law enforcement that day, they would have had zero evidence with which to convict him. And yet this young boy with an IQ swimming around 90, being subjected to multiple law enforcement officers in an interrogation room, being force-fed information, forced to repeat it, and then haven't been been sold to a jury as if it was some kind of a confession, if that never happens, he never, he's never sitting in a jail cell. Instead, you put that child in that situation, and as of right now, he's been in jail since 2006. It's been 15 years. He's 31 years old. Just let that sink in. Let that sink in. Let's, um, this was his confession. This was his so-called Confession.
3: But i I got to gotta believe in you, and if I don't believe in you, I can't go to bad for you. Okay? You're nodding. Tell us what happened. Your mom said you'd be honest with us. And she's behind you 100% no matter what happens yeah, here. That's what she said, because she thinks you don't want to. We're in your corner.
4: We already know what happened. Now tell us exactly. Don't lie. We can't say it for you, Brad, Okay. Now, let's be honest. What did he tell you? What did he what show you? What did you me? see and what did he tell you? Let's be honest, your friend. If you helped him, it's okay. Because he was telling you to do it. You didn't do it on your own. Think about it and
3: be honest. So just be honest. We already know. He's obviously not holding anything back from you. He had you come over to see this.
4: Come on. Something with the head. Yeah. What we else do you guys do?
3: Come on. No, oh, Brendan. We know he made you do something else.
4: What was it?
3: That he punched her.
4: What else? Okay, what do you make you do? Cut her. Cut her where? On her throat. You cut her throat. What else happens to her in her head?
3: Extremely, extremely important you tell us this. For us to believe you. Come on, Brendan. What else? We know,
5: we just need you to tell us. That's all I can remember.
4: All right, I'm just going to come up and ask you who shot her in the head.
0: Just general observations. That young man sitting in that chair right there I mean, he is a child, but he is a child. I mean, he's got the behavior of a nine-year-old. They're force-feeding him stuff they want him to say, and that's what they used as the basis to stick this young boy in jail uh, for the rest of his life where he's still sitting in a jail cell, and hopefully that resolves. But the Supreme Court declined to hear the case. And so now what? There's, he, he literally has no legal recourse at this point. Here's some more footage from that uh, interrogation.
4: i just have a seat, Brendan.
0: This is how it starts. I just
4: got to stop out for a minute, and then we'll be right in, okay? Okay. All right.
3: Soda, water? You sure? Well, water, maybe. Okay.
0: Looks like he's just been pulled out of bed. Fast forward this. We sit in there, here's officer number one.
3: Given the whole story, you've been given points where it didn't look real good for you either. And I don't know if you you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And and that's why we kind of came here to let you talk a little, maybe get some stuff off your mind or chest if you need to. And then to tell us the whole truth, to take us through this whole thing that happened on Monday. Not leaving anything out, not adding anything in, because Mark and I looked at, looked at the tapes, looked at the notes, and it's real obvious. There's some places where some things were left out, or maybe changed just a bit to to maybe looking at yourself to protect yourself a little. Um, from what I'm seeing, even if I fill those in, I'm thinking you're all right. Okay, you don't have to worry about things. Um, we're there <coughs> for you.
0: Just notice what he just said. If you fill in the gaps, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. What does that mean to a child? What does that mean to anybody? What does that mean to an adult? All right, I'm just going to tell him what I know, and then that's it. And then they increasingly get frustrated because he's not giving them the answers that they're looking for, which essentially they want him to confess. They believe he did it. They want him to confess. They're single-track minded. They're not looking for anybody else. They believe that they got their guy And so they're going to feed him all of the statements they need him to say. When he repeats it, they're going to treat it as a confession.
3: Um, And and, and we know what Stephen did, and and we know kind of what happened to you and what he did. We just need to hear the whole story from you. As soon as we get that, we're comfortable with that. I think you're going to be a lot more comfortable with that. It's going to be a lot easier on you down the road uh, if this goes to trial and stuff like that we Need to know that because it's probably going to come out. Think of Stephen for a second. Stephen is already starting to say some things, and eventually, he's going to potentially lay some crap on you and try and make it look like you are the bad person here. Um, and we don't,
0: which was not the case at all. Stephen didn't know anything. Stephen, they he was interviewed by t- television, and um. You know, I mean, he wasn't, uh, he was not offering information into whether or not Brandon Dassey was responsible for a murder, but they are getting him to think that, look, Steven is going to say that you did this. So you might as well say it was him. Wasn't it him? It was him. Wasn't it? Because if you don't say it was him, then he's going to say it was you. And then what are we supposed to think? They're lying to this kid. They're lying to him and they're forcing him into say all of this stuff. Let's continue. We want that. We want everything out front
3: so we can say, yeah, we knew that Steven. He told us that. You, know, you get my drift. I'm gonna, I do not know, Bark has something, something I'm just gonna give you an opportunity to talk to us now and, and, and kind of fill in those gaps for us.
4: Honesty here, Brendan, is the thing that's gonna help you. Yeah. Okay, no matter what you did, we can work through that. Okay? We can't make any promises, but we'll stand behind you no matter what you did. Okay.
0: They're gonna stand behind him no matter what he did, right? No matter what he did. I posit a guess that neither one of those officers have ever stood next to him while he was sitting in his jail cell.
4: Because you're being the good guy here. You're the one that's saying, you know what, maybe I made some mistakes, but here's what I did. The other guy involved in this doesn't want to help himself. All he wants to do is blame everybody else. Okay. And by you talking with us, it's helping you. Okay. Okay because the honest person is the one that's going to get a better deal out of everything. You know how that works. Mm-hmm. You know, honesty's the only thing that
0: will set you free. That's the biggest load of horse shit that the comp has said all day. Because, number one, this boy did not offer the truth. He offered what he was offered, which is, you know, they fed him facts. He repeated the facts. That was his statement. But then let's assume that it was true. If it was true and he was involved in the murder somehow, well, he's going to life, same as the actual guy that murdered the person. Steve, Um, and I don't know if Stephen did it or not, I don't know, I just know that this boy, Brandon, knowing what I know about the case, I fully 100% believe that this was a coerced confession, and that he had nothing to do with it, and that his personal case is an extreme tragedy, a tragedy of the American justice system, which I fully believe in, but it's not perfect, and sometimes it leads to the conviction of innocent people, and I believe that Brandon Dassey is one of them. Let's continue
4: right and we know like Tom said we know we reviewed those tapes we know there's some things you left out and we know there's some things that maybe weren't quite correct that you told us okay we've done we've been investigating this a long time we pretty much know everything that's why we're talking to you again today we really need you to be honest this time with everything okay if in fact you did some things which we believe some things may have happened that you didn't want to tell us about it's okay As long as you can, as long as you be honest with us, it's okay. If you lie about it, that's going to be problems, okay? Does that sound
0: fair? Well, they left out the other option, which is don't say anything, and I'm not lying or telling the truth, am I? Why don't you guys figure it out on your own? You guys are the officers. You guys have all of the technology, all of the tools, all of the resources. Go find your evidence. I'm not saying shit. Which, guilty or innocent, that's exactly what you should tell the cops. You give them one account of what happened. Give them one account of what happened. And that's it. If they ask you to repeat the question, no, I already answered your question. You don't have to give them any information. You have a right to not incriminate yourself. Not that you're incriminating yourself. You have a right not to talk to them. And you know what? If you're not under arrest, then leave. If you're being detained, then fine. But you don't have to say anything. Get your attorney. If they're going to arrest you, they're going to arrest you anyway, regardless of what you say. So what, you confess to a crime, you give them the information that you're looking for, and they're all of a sudden going to let you go? No, you're going to get booked, and you're going to spend the night in jail, and you're going to be there for a long time. Of what benefit is it of you to speak to the cops, unless you have 100% definitive exculpatory evidence? And if that's what you have, then give them that and nothing else. Don't give them any statements, statements, don't explain it, you know. Don't give, you know, need these long explanations. Don't answer their questions more than once. And if you just want to give them a general description of, look, I was attacked, I was this or that or you know something, fine. But you don't have to talk to them about anything. And I'll tell you what. Um, a long time ago, I used to work for a law firm that represented law enforcement. Essentially, for their internal affairs investigations, law enforcement doesn't even talk to law enforcement without an attorney present. Now, they had provided for um, them representation. So, if you're the subject of an internal affairs investigation um, with law enforcement, at least in the counties that I worked, uh, you had the opportunity to be provided with counsel and then they would advise you and then we would prep them their testimony, we would get as much information as we can. and Usually there would be a report about what it is that they're being investigated for. We would go over the story. We'd look at all of the evidence and then we would speak to the officer that we were representing and just say, we would fully instruct them the same way that we instruct everybody in depositions, meaning across the board, civil litigation, criminal law, family law, whatever, probate, wills and trust. Like you're, you're doing a normal deposition. First order of business only answer the question that you're asked Give as short as answers as you can. Do not give rambling responses. If you don't know, then say you don't know. If you don't recall, then say you don't recall. There's a difference between never knowing something and simply not remembering. Know the difference. Do not ever guess. If you don't know, just say that. I don't care if they get frustrated. You know, and then we would be there as attorneys to object. Say, look, ask and answer, counselor. Move on. Um, but in those IA investigations, it was never, I mean, you know, it was law enforcement asking the questions, but that's kind of how it works with a a criminal investigation. They're asking the questions and then your attorney is sitting there and we say that, yeah, go ahead and answer that or don't answer that, or we answer for you. And if you don't like it, we shut it down altogether and then we get the hell out of there. That's because we're protecting you and it's not our job to build the cop, the, the case for the cops. It's like, for example... Let's say you're getting pulled over for a DUI in the state of California or in most states. Um, cops have a lot of leeway to do a lot of things. One, thing's they, one of the things that they could do specifically in California is uh, subject you to a breathalyzer or a blood test, which you're not allowed to refuse. If you refuse, you get your your license automatically suspended. Automatic suspension. Um, so there's a lot of things they could do that are above and beyond, you know, what's constitutionally protected and all that, whatever, but you don't have to tell them what you had for dinner. You don't have to tell them what you had to drink. You don't have to tell them where you were going or where you were coming from. That's none of their goddamn business. I'm not saying be a dick to the cops. I'm not saying that at all, because if I was pulled over, I would share that information, but I'm not going to go back and forth with them. You know, there's a limit to it. I'm going to be polite. I'm going to give them the answers they know. But if they ask me what I have for dinner, it's none of your business. And don't give them an answer. Don't tell them, oh yeah, I had a pitcher of water because if your blood alcohol comes back is uh, anything other than .00, well, now you're a liar and now they could prove it. And if there's any ancillary issues to that, well, you're not credible anymore. So just don't say anything. You're gonna do the breathalyzer. You're gonna draw my blood. If there's alcohol in the system, then fine. If there isn't, then you gotta let me go. And that's kind of the way that it works. But anything that you say to the cops is building the case for them. So why say anything? I'm not saying be a dick. I'm not saying be a sovereign citizen. I'm not saying roll your windows up or ignore them or, you know, disrespect the cops, be respectful, be polite. And if there's questions that you have and you don't feel comfortable answering and say, look, I can't, I've been advised by my attorney not to say anything. So I'm not gonna, if you need to do my blood, then I'm welcome to do that. Uh, You don't even have to take the field sobriety test. That's not information that you are required to give to them. That's information that they're going to use to build a case that you were intoxicated which you may or may not be. How do I know that you don't have like a bum leg or something, or you're not having some kind of diabetic episode that is causing uh, your blood sugar to spike, that is causing you to behave as if you are intoxicated? It happens. These are defenses. I've seen so many different defenses uh, to blood alcohol, but guess what? I don't get to use any of them if you said, well, yeah, I had had eight double shots of whiskey. Neat. And it was delicious. Well, I guess you just threw out the whole Mentos argument, didn't you? There's actually an argument that says if you have a specific medical condition and you consume Mentos, it would cause a false reading on a breathalyzer and cause it to appear as if you were intoxicated and exhibit symptoms of alcohol toxicity. I've actually seen that successfully argued in court, but the second that you admit to consuming copious amounts of alcohol, well, guess what? I don't get to use that argument in the off chance it might have been successful. Such is life. I don't know if any of you guys remember uh, a gentleman by the name of Richard Jewell. Uh, but back in 1996, he was working as a security guard during the Summer Olympics. that was um, They were taking place in Atlanta, Georgia, when a bomb exploded in Centennial Olympic Park. He was initially hailed by the news as a hero for his quick thinking and actions that helped to evacuate the area before the bomb was detonated. And he was patrolling the area. He noticed a suspicious backpack that he thought looked suspicious. Um, He thought it was a bomb. He alerted a lot of people to it and got them the hell out of there. Um, And the cops, in turn, used that, well, how in the hell did he know? And turned him into a suspect. Um, He spoke to um, the police several times during their investigation and even agreed to a polygraph test which he passed, but the media began reporting that Jewel was a person of interest in the case. His reputation was quickly tarnished. The media portrayed him as the lone bomber because that's what they did back in the 90s, and, well, I mean, even today they still do that that kind of thing. Uh, they suggested, you know, suggesting that he had planted the bomb himself to gain attention. Uh, they started to make fun of him because he was a guy that really, really wanted to be have a career in law enforcement. Um, he was an, an, an overweight, out-of-shape guy, but he had this... this uh, extreme respect for law enforcement. That was his dream. He wanted to be a law enforcement officer. So he was a security guard. He was pursuing that. He was acting as if he thought he was supposed to act in that moment. The FBI gets involved. Um, they ultimately cleared him of any involvement in the bombing. Um, but his reputation at that point had been irreparably harmed. Um, he became the subject of intense media scrutiny. He became the subject of Saturday night live jokes and, uh, He was vilified by the press. Um, They continued to portray him as a suspect well after he had been cleared of any wrongdoing. Even though he was never officially charged ever with the crime, his life was ruined. He he passed away um, several years ago. But um, tragic story. They made a movie about his life, and I wanted to play for you a scene which obviously is dramatized. I don't have the actual footage of the interrogation, but I love this scene when he just gives, you know, I'm just a guy trying to help you guys out and you guys are vilifying me and just in the most respectful way that he can, just kind of goes in on the person that's interrogating him. And this, if you were innocent of a crime and you were just trying to be helpful, I imagine would be the way that many of you would feel, but let's take a listen to this scene. Got a call for you. Richard,
5: it's Watson. What are you doing in there? They said they needed me for a training film. No, they don't need you for... You're a suspect. Have you read the newspapers? Have you signed anything? Have you confessed anything? No, of course not. I didn't do this. All right, listen to me. Listen to me real carefully. Just don't say anything to anyone. You understand me? Get your ass out of there. Let me talk to the agent in charge. He wants to talk to you. This is Ada Shaw. This interrogation's over. Not another word, you hear me? He's been cooperating fully. Hey, did I stutter? No more questions. Get his ass out of there. You hear me? Okay, well, have a nice... He hung up on me. You have a very
0: loud lawyer. Congratulations. Yeah, and that's the correct... That's, that's the response that your attorney's going to give law enforcement... Not to that, you know, level of disrespect, but um, in so many words, we'll be respectful about it, but that's what should happen. And his, his advice was correct. Absolutely correct. Say nothing, say nothing. Don't give them anything. What are you even doing there in the first place? And Jules over there just trying to help. Um, That wasn't the scene that I was wanting to play. I played the wrong one. It's out of order. That was uh, the, um, his attorney's advice, what he should have followed. This is the last scene leading up to the end of it. This is where he goes in on law enforcement.
5: Can I ask all you fellas a question? Jesus, what? Do you have any kind of case against me? I mean evidence, like any traces of anything on my mama's Tupperware or did you find any bomb-making materials in her apartment? Did you find some book? Richard, we don't need to no, the I'm almost say out. this, if I'm gonna say anything, I walk in here and I look at the circled decal on your windows there and I'm thinking, you know, I, I used to think that federal law enforcement was just about the highest calling a person could aspire to. And I'm not sure I think that anymore, you know, not after all this. I did my job that night and some people are alive because of that. But Do you think that the next time some security guard sees a suspicious package, that he or she's gonna call it in? I doubt it, you know? Cause they're gonna look at that and they're gonna think, I don't wanna be another Richard Jewel, so I'm just gonna run. How does that make anybody any safer. Y'all can keep following me around some more, doing what you're doing. I can stand it, but I just know that every second you spend on me is time that you're not spending on the real guy who did it. And it's like Watson said, "What? What happened when he? What happens when he does it again?" So, do you have anything you want to charge me with? Can you? Well, I think it's time to go.
0: Good for him, I imagine that, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, individuals that were falsely convicted or falsely accused. If they had the opportunity to speak to the persons that were interrogated them, would have loved to recite that speech that fictitious Richard Jewell made in that dramatic film from 2019. But that advice was spot on, give them nothing, say nothing. Um, interrogation over, that's what your attorney is supposed to do. We're there to protect you. I don't have a problem with you speaking to whoever you need to speak to. Just do it while I'm there. Just make sure that I'm there. Because if not, then you're, you're, you're basically walking in to the civil war unarmed. And that's no way to fight for your freedom. Apart from that, apart from Richard Jewell, we talked about the Central Park Five, and that was the case from 1989 or 88 or 89, I forget. Um, but there was a woman that was brutally murdered and assaulted while she was jogging alone in Central Park in New York City. Five teenagers, Antron McCray, Kevin Richardson, Yousef Salam, Raymond Santana, and Corey Wise, they were arrested and charged with the crime based on confessions that they made to the police. They were teenagers. They were children. The confessions were obtained after hours of interrogation. They weren't allowed to speak to their parents. They were coerced and intimidated by police. They were deprived of food, water, sleep, threatened with violence, promises of leniency, and despite a lack of any physical evidence whatsoever, they were convicted and, uh, sentenced to lengthy prison sentences in 2002 you know 13 years after the facts dna evidence conclusively proved that the central park five were not responsible for the crime and they implicated another man now back in the 80s dna was not that prevalent obviously advances led to that discovery um the convictions were vacated and the men were exonerated and the Central Park Fives coerced confessions played a significant role in their wrongful convictions. Of course they did, because they didn't have anything else. There was no forensics. All they had was statements. But if the children said nothing, then they would have had nothing. And yet, let's take a listen to the actual confession as it occurred back in 1989 and you look at this child that is saying these things that he's been coerced to say and mind you that he's saying this after hours of interrogation threats of violence lack of sleep lack of food the inability to speak to their parents these are children being spoken to by law enforcement and listen to the interrogator's uh, voice as she's asking the questions and tell me if you you in your 15 16 year old state might not have done something similar. This is Raymond Santana. This is a a video statement that he gave in in 1989. The ticker there says 1988, but I'm not sure if that's correct. My
6: name is Elizabeth Lutterer. I'm an assistant district attorney in New York County. I'd like to ask you some questions about what happened in Central Park on the night of April 19th, 1989. Before I ask you, about what happened, let me just ask uh Sir, could you please give your name? My name is
0: Dragon.
6: And what is your relation to this man uh, you here? Your spot. Your all Right. Also present in the room right now are Detective Arroyo and Detective Sheehan from the uh police department. Before I go any further, I want to warn you of your rights with respect to savings that you may make now. You have
0: the So they're doing all of this for the camera. And what this doesn't show of, of course his data is data's there now. They're reading him his rights now. They're saying you have a right to an attorney now. You have a right not to say anything now. But this is after hours of the coercive interrogative tactics that they utilized to garner him, to get him to this point where he's now giving this this, this confession that obviously was false, proven with DNA evidence 13 years later in 2002.
6: Right to remain silent and to refuse to answer any questions. Do you understand? Okay, could you answer our Yes. Yeah. Anything that you say can be used against you in court. Do you understand? Yes. You have the right to consult a lawyer now before any questioning and have a lawyer present during any questioning. Do you understand? Yes. Yeah. If you have no lawyer or cannot afford a lawyer, a lawyer will be provided for you now, free of charge, before any questioning. Do you understand? Now that I've advised you of your rights, are you willing to tell me the truth about what happened in Central Park on the night of April 19th of 1989? Okay. Let me just say, for the, uh, so if the record's clear, there is somebody else in the room with us who is recording the statement so that we can be sure that we have it right. It is now two twenty in the morning of April twenty first of nineteen eighty
0: nine, and we are at twenty. It is now two twenty in the morning. They're doing all of this at two twenty in the morning. This child looks exhausted.
6: Fourth precinct. Okay, would you um, please
5: sit up and tell me what your name is? My name is
6: I'm sorry. You have to speak a little
5: louder. I mean, Miss Santana.
6: And how old are you? Fourteen. Great. And is this your father who's seated next to you? Yes. The detectives who are in the room, Detective Arroyo and Detective Sheehan. You've met them earlier in the evening, isn't that right? Yes. And Did they take a statement from you? Yes. When they took that statement from you, did they give you the the rights that I've just read to you before they took the statement?
5: Yes.
6: Have you had something to eat this evening? Yes. You're feeling all right? Yes. Okay. Why
5: don't you tell me what happened on the night of April nineteenth and nineteenth? Well, it was a bunch of us on Central
0: Park. It's a I just want you to know that the things that are coming out of this fourteen-year-old child's mouth right now is all statements that he's been fed by law enforcement over the course of many hours preceding this videotaped statement. Everything that he says right now is a lie, but he's saying it because he's trying to get out of this situation that he's been subjected to by law enforcement, where he's been bullied, prodded, and deprived of basic necessities for the sake of finding somebody to throw on the fire that law enforcement is, is seeking. Everything that he's stating right now, he had no personal knowledge of any of this. These are statements that law enforcement wanted him to say and now that they got him to this point, now that his dad is there, now everything else. Now they've given him food. Now they're giving him, you know, whatever he needs. And now he's giving the statement and now he's gonna be able to get some sleep after this. But guess what? It's gonna be in the jail, so. Uh,
5: bicyclists and
6: joggers. Okay. What time did you go to the Central Park that night? 9. And um, when you say there
5: were a bunch of us, who was there? It was me, myself. Campbell, uh,
6: What's Terrence's last name? Yeah. Campbell. Campbell? Mm-hmm. Uh, Who else?
5: Friend named Jermaine. Jermaine? Yeah.
6: Do you know Jermaine's last name? Is Jermaine a man or a woman? Yeah. Who else was there? Friend named uh, Michael. What's Michael's last name?
5: Uh Briscoe.
6: Briscoe?
5: friend named Jason. What's Jason's last name? I don't know his last
6: name. Friend named Ramsey. What's Ramsey's last name here? You know?
5: Smith. Mm-hmm. And his brother's name is Jomo. Jomo? Yeah, same last name. Same name.
6: Where do they live? Kevin Richardson.
5: He came with the other group.
6: Okay. Lamont McCall was with you, though?
5: Yeah, he's with us. Who else
6: was with your group?
5: Um, Antoine.
6: Antoine McCray?
5: Yeah, him. And other cousins. Clarence.
6: Clarence Thomas?
5: Yes, they were with us, too. Okay. And where did you all
0: meet up? About 110th and 5th. Long story short, with all of that, is we're not going to go through the whole video. We don't got that kind of time today, but he goes on to recite a number of force-fed statements that law enforcement had wanted him to say. It was become part of his confession. He wasn't saying any of that in the preceding hours leading up to that videotaped confession. Um, But had he not talked to the police, had he actually remained silent, had he um, asked for an attorney, then look, if they're going to arrest him, If they had evidence on him to arrest him, then they should have done it. If they weren't going to do that, then they had to let him go. And that's got to be your position. If you're going to speak to law enforcement, if you're suspected of anything and you know you didn't do anything, your first question should be, am I under arrest? And if you're not, then leave. There is no benefit to staying and talking to the police, especially if you've already given them a statement with very basic information about, you know, very basic questions about where you were, about what you witnessed, about what happened, whatever. The longer you talk to them, the greater the chance that you may accidentally give an uh, an inconsistent statement. And if you give an inconsistent statement, they're going to grip into that so hard and use it as a basis to call you a liar. And you're going to get nervous. And you may say some things that aren't true because you don't want them to be angry at you and they're going to act like they're your best friend. And in that moment, I promise you, you will feel coerced into giving a statement to appease the people that are interrogating you and it will ruin the rest of your life. That's what's at stake. So why would you speak to them as opposed to calling me, getting me down there, which I will abruptly end the interrogation if you're not under arrest and tell them, hey, you got questions, call my office and we'll discuss it. And then I will have questions for them. They could give me questions and I'll get back to them with responses that are going to be made um, when you're not under the interrogative tactics of law enforcement. That's honestly how it should go. And you're not going there. You know, I'm not saying that you're hiding anything I'm just saying I'm not going to allow you to conjure up inconsistent statements and intimidate my client into giving false facts or false confessions that you're going to try to use to charge my client with crimes that they didn't commit. Do your jobs. Go get the surveillance. Go uh, survey. Go canvas the neighborhood. Go uh, look at ring um, video from the surrounding neighborhoods. Uh, go talk to people. But my client's giving you a statement and that's all we're going to give you. If you've got further questions, you know where to contact me. That's where we should go with that. So, long story short, um, we've been going for about an hour, fifteen minutes, an hour, twenty minutes now. Um, I think we've we've thoroughly discussed and answered that question. Should I talk to the cops? Are there well, class? What is the answer to that question? No, of course you shouldn't talk to the cops. For what? For what? Well, there's specific reasons why you should. If you just witnessed something go down and you need to give the cops an account and then tell them, look, see, I just saw person A and person B uh, jump out of a red vehicle and they went southbound on I-24 or whatever you got to tell them. Give them information like that. Give it to them once, you know. But if they start asking anything above and beyond your knowledge, then, hey, cut it short. But you got to give them cooperate But do not allow them to ask you with the same question 100 times. And, you know, on the 99th time, you know, on the 100th time you answer the question, it's slightly different than the first 99 responses. And all of a sudden, they're calling you a liar. No, we're not doing that. We're not going to play that game. You're just going to have to go and find some additional evidence, some additional information. But we're not going to build your case for you with you trying to conjure up inconsistent statements that you know is bullshit. And that's going to be my final word on the matter. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 35 of the Tilted Lawyer Podcast. Thank you for joining me. If you sat through this entire show, I sincerely hope that you learned a valuable lesson. If you are ever confronted with law enforcement or faced with the prospect of having to be uh, questioned by law enforcement or anybody similar to law enforcement, call me first. And if you don't, then I guess proceed at your own risk. There is... Dozens, there's hundreds, there's thousands of examples out there. I didn't even get to uh, Ryan Ferguson and Richard Glossop. Um, The other examples I have of what could go wrong when you speak to the cops. There's a lot. We went over some of the most famous cases, but in your own personal life, I've seen lives ruined simply because people got intimidated when they were speaking with law enforcement. Do not let that be you. People pay lawyers for a lot of things. One of the things that you should pay us for is peace of mind. And if you are speaking with law enforcement, give me a call. Give an attorney a call. Let them know the situation so you can be properly advised. Let them make the proper inquiries with law enforcement to understand what's specifically going on because we're not answering questions in the dark. And then we'll proceed and hopefully live ever, ever after. And so with that Um, Thank you for listening all the way through. Um, I truly do appreciate you. And uh, as always, lock your doors, hug your families. It's a crazy, crazy, ugly world out there. You never know what could happen to change the rest of your life. And uh, with that, we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to the entire podcast. We really do appreciate that. And as always, you can find us on YouTube on the Tilted Lawyer Podcast YouTube channel or on your podcast carrier of choice. If you feel we've presented anything of value, please leave a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We always appreciate that kind of thing. And we do look forward to seeing you all again live every Thursday at 3 in the afternoon. We love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.